Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for February 3rd, 2019. The biggest unofficial holiday on the American calendar, Super Bowl Sunday. We're on a little early this week, but welcome from the Super Bowl city, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. I have not experienced any Super Bowl except traffic. <laughs> and welcome, Tim Shiflett. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. I will say that my office is right across from the Hyatt Regency, which is where the uh, New England Patriots are staying. So oh. all week we've had armed military guarding their buses and not letting us Yuck. walk on the street. Wow. Like, wow. Armed <laughs> Automatic rifles, in fatigues, guarding their buses whenever they come and go. Wow. Yeah, I was, I was pretty surprised. But we did see yeah. whatever that guy's name is, the famous one. Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah, Brady. Boy, I don't, yeah, I don't know these. Anyway, go ahead. Hi, he obviously did. <laughs> yeah, that 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 that. I was going to say that show of force is. Uh, well, they're serious about security this year down there, ain't they, Catherine? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, like, one day we were getting ready to leave, and we walked down. Uh, we can either walk through um, the tunnels or walk down Portman, and it was a nice day. We like to walk down John Portman. We came out, and the security officer, with his automatic re- re- weapon, told us we were a security risk, and we could not walk down the street. Yeah. A public street. A public street. Because a football game, a football team was about to unload the buses. I was pretty irritated. <laughs> wow. Yeah, anyway. and that's interesting. I wonder if the, I wonder if they would have flip flopped the teams and had New England stay well north of town at Flowery Branch, and um, Los Angeles stay downtown. If we've been a factor, since Los Angeles's Q rating is is quite a bit lower um, than New England's, so uh, that that'd been interesting to. Uh, no, and then they might could have saved some money and some headaches for folks. But anyway, we got. Oh, did LA stay of, up in? Did LA stay up in Flowery Branch? Yes, the the uh, one oh. team got the AFC team automatically got Georgia Tech, and the NFC automatically got the Falcons headquarters. And that was no matter who went, that was going to be the deal. Yep. But um, well, let's get into some political news because you know just because there's a Super Bowl in Georgia doesn't mean that politics is going to stop and. Um, one of the most bizarre political situations in several years has come out. Somebody likened this to kind of Mark Sanford um, with the um, trip to Argentina, although the circumstances are very, very different. The way it's unfolded has some of the same bizarre nature. Um, I want to say on Friday, it may have been late, late Thursday, but Friday it really broke. Um, a yearbook photo from a medical college – in Virginia, a, a picture comes out, and it has one person in blackface and another person in 
um, a Ku Klux Klan robe, and it's on the page because I guess every student got a you know two-page fold of a current Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. Um, at first, he says he apologizes for being the photo, and then later more happens. Um, Tim, what's your thoughts on you know what's happened thus far? Later more happens. Yeah, yeah. then he has this strange news conference uh, where he says, you know, I made some calls, and I don't believe that is me in the photo. I, I don't recall uh, ever taking that photo, although I did uh, don blackface that year to appear in a Michael Jackson dance contest, and then some reporter asked him about doing the moonwalk, and I think he was standing there considering doing it till his wife said no. It, it just went all weird. It's like this guy's trying desperately to find some way to play this where he can stay in office, and the storm is only getting worse, isn't it, Catherine? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's it's like, oh, I know that wasn't me in blackface in the yearbook because I was in blackface at another time. Like, it was okay that he was, I know it wasn't me because I, I did it before. Uh, I, I don't know. Oh. I, I, um, I just, and this, like, I just want to remind our listeners that this was not in 1952 or 1935. This was 1984. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just shocking to me. And the other thing is, you know, I've worked in medical schools. I don't remember... Uh, medical students having so much extra time that they could hang around in Ku Klux Klan outfits and blackface and take pictures and have a yearbook. I, I just, it just is, the whole thing is is uh, crazy. What do you think, David? Oh, it, it, there's so many just strange aspects of this one. I mean, too, I, I was only like 12 in 1984. Um, and I think I would have known as a 12-year-old, you just don't do that. I, I thought, I think the um, South, you know, I grew up in, people didn't do that. But then the fact that it was a medical college, it was graduate, not undergraduate, because it is my understanding that through this time, and even unfortunately later, some fraternities would still have these very antiquated racist parties. But medical college, that's like the next level through. I mean, that's all the way fully realized adults. Then the next thing that kind of struck me as strange is, you know, we're going to see in the future all kind of things on social media where people are younger and they take pictures and they post. Probably not going to be like this, but it's going to be something else embarrassing um, on social media. But this wasn't on social media. This was in a yearbook. Someone had to put together a page uh, about him, and they chose this photo. So that took some, you know, editing. I mean, someone, an editor had to review it and say, hey, that's okay. I mean, of course, that's not on Ralph North from that part, but it's just the whole situation is so strange. And then something that I thought of, and I don't put it on Ed Gillespie, but, um, and probably somebody told Donald Trump this, but how in the world did an op researcher that was working for Ed Gillespie 
not see this, or if he had a primary campaign or any of his previous campaigns. I just thought you went and got the yearbooks immediately just to look through them, never expecting to find this, but um, just whatever you could find. So I'm shocked that it took this long to um, be found out, unless, I mean, he says it's not him in the photo. I don't know why he said it was him in the photo originally, but if it were not him, I guess maybe that's why uh, the op researcher didn't find it. But uh, so many bizarre pieces there. Um Tim, well, I just, what do you think I, about? I, I, I have one other. Oh, comment. go ahead, Catherine. Why didn't his his op- opposition re- like very true? One of the things, yeah. one of the things that candidates have to do is there is do opposition research on themselves. Yes, so that that's they can the first be, part. So they can be prepared for this any kind of inquiry, and for that for him to not have been prepared for this is the other, um, the other bizarre part of it yeah uh, well tim what do you think uh well that you know it's not just all of this it's kind of a one-two punch hit him uh there was the um question from the reporter about um the new late-term abortions law in new york state and the fact that uh a couple of legislators were putting together a bill in Virginia. And what did he think of that? And he answered the thing like a doctor would, because that's what he is. And the way it come out, it, it, uh, a lot of people were saying, wait a minute, is this dude advocating murder? <laughs> and and there was a kind of a firestorm about that that hadn't quite yet died down, and then he gets hit with this thing, too. This is simply dreadful. Uh, Like Catherine said, this was 1984, not not 1864. Uh, They they, they had a little thing that they superimposed nicknames that they go by. Did you see that? One of his was Coon Man. Now, they might have been talking about raccoons or that he is a hunter. Uh, no. I don't know. But, no, but the, I but don't that, think so. Uh, and the, the dead giveaway here, guys, is what's going on. It's one thing for Republicans to be hollering about him uh, resigning, but every Democrat inside is, including the former governor who was his mentor, uh, uh, the the senators, the you know the congressmen, uh, national Democrats, every, everybody, the the media, everyone is saying you know you need to resign, and I believe he needs to resign too. Uh, the lieutenant governor is an African American, Justin Fairfax. He could uh, he could you know serve out. Northrum's turn, and and then run for one of his own, and and, and at this point, I think that's what they're going to have to do. We got legislative races. Everybody in the legislature's got to run in Virginia later this year. Those 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 races are important. Uh, this governor uh, will not be able to get anything done now. Uh, I, I I think he he needs to resign. What what do y'all think he needs to do? I think he needs to resign because he, I mean, for for obvious reasons, but also because he has no credibility. He, I mean, right. the 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 um, 
legislators are not going to put give him any um, support, and mm-hmm. he's not going to be believed after this like song and dance about uh, it was me. Oh no, it wasn't me. Uh, I, you know, it's just it, it's just uh, for him to be able to get through. Uh, I, I, yeah, he's got to resign. David. Yeah, sorry about the difficulties. I thought, Tim, I thought it was you having the difficulties, but apparently my wireless connection uh, dropped. Um, I have no idea, so apologize for that. As far as um, Governor Northam, it is tricky in that it's a one term instead of two, so he's not going. He wouldn't have to face reelection. So if he wanted just to. Serve out his term and be, you know, probably very ineffectual and and be that every time everything gets brought up, it's that. I guess he could, you know, finish out his term, but but he wouldn't get much done, like Catherine was saying. Um, and also, it's kind of the the cover up's worse than the crime. Um, you know, if he would have just, and of course, it was no crime, you know, physically, because I think some somebody brought up impeachment, and then somebody said you can't impeach him because. It wasn't a crime. It was just horrible judgment. Um, and so it's almost well, like, though, hey, how he handled uh, it afterward is hurting more than even what he did back in 1984 or possibly yeah. Oh, did, I agree. He's saying he didn't do whatever the first time. I don't know. That's kind of yeah, crazy. I mean, if he had just said, if he had just said, I was, I, I made mistakes when I was a young man. I've gotten, I've gotten better. I've, I've learned from my from my colleagues and I'm, I'm different now. If he had said that as soon as it happened, he wouldn't have to resign maybe, but for this, this like wishy-washy, you know, I was, you know, I just think he's got a, he, he has no credibility. You, you yeah. know what I'd like uh, to and, ask and, him? Go ahead. I, I, I would like to ask him, you know, Why didn't you bring this up before now, Governor? Why did we have to wait for a website called Big League Politics to find it? A site run by a guy that used to write for Breitbart, a guy that used to work, of all people, for Roy Moore. Why why did we have to hear about this from him? Why did you not bring this up and deal with this before now? Well, I think we know he didn't bring it up before because the problem if he had brought it up, he wouldn't have had a political career um, because somebody else would have, you know, beat one in the primary. Uh, who knows about a general? I mean, he, he probably just, you know, he probably thinks I'm a different person and it would never be found. It's just a bizarre thing. Like I said, it was in the yearbook. Uh, it wasn't like somebody had a Polaroid and an old shoebox in an attic. Um, that's the still the strange thing about it. But um, you know, one thing I did think about is if he really just wanted to hang on, and I I don't know how he feels on every issue and everything else, but could he just switch to the Republican Party? Since we know that in the Republican <laughs> Party, this wouldn't even be a thing. He could just hey, you have having a press conference. I'm well, a Republican, and um, he could probably uh, he would have a whole bunch of new defenders. Um, but David, you know, of that all is. things, of all things, this is Virginia. Now we know what happened in Charlottesville, don't we? Yeah. Of all the states for something like this to happen in, 
after all of that trauma they've gone through with the race issue in the past couple of years and in the state's history, for this to come up, for a guy who says he's a progressive, and, and, and legislatively I guess he is, but for this to come up. And the second point is, if, if we as Democrats are going to scream on the street corner about holding Donald Trump to some sort of standards for saying obnoxious and terrible things, even though they weren't crimes, then I think we have to hold our own to the same standards, don't you? Oh, yeah, and I think this is a lot like uh, when Bob Livingston, uh, when, you know, Newt Gingrich stepped down as uh, Speaker of the House, Bob Livingston took charge, and the Republicans were in the middle of um, impeachment proceedings, and when they found out he was having an affair, the Republicans knew, like, yeah, we can't uh, go after Bill Clinton if we're not going to, you know, if we're going to stand for what Livingston did. Now, later on, they let some other things go, so I think this is probably Mm -hmm. one of the situations where, it is going to hurt. It's going to be something that the Republicans continue to bring up and bring up and bring up. Another thing I was interested to find out, because it really could have been a raw deal for the um, lieutenant governor, if if he filled out the rest of that term, he couldn't run for his own term. Now, if you know Ralph Northam uh, steps down, he secedes him, then uh, Justin Fairfax, lieutenant governor, could serve close to three years. I'm sorry, not three years. Um, uh, three extra years is um, Virginia governor, which he would be then right. one of the longest serving governors in, in their history. That he would, I mean, I'm I'm projecting that he would win, which he will have to run after the the 2020 election. And of course, we know that becomes a bellwether, and sometimes that's a reversal, of course, from what happens in the um, you know general election there. So uh, a long way down the road, and, and I have a feeling that next week. That we'll probably bring in this up because there'll either be some resolution one way or the other. Either mm-hmm. he resigns during this week, or he, or it, we move on to the next story because obviously, you know, Donald Trump can't, can't stay out of the news that long. He's going to have to make some news. And um, speaking of that, before we get into, I'm assuming our guest pretty quickly. Um, I wanted to bring in the, the newsmaker of the first part of the week, and it wasn't Donald Trump. Um, it was Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. And, and Howard Schultz kicked off his campaign with a 60 Minutes interview that was going on as we um, were recording our show, and we actually brought up a third-party candidate. We just brought up the general idea, but I, I didn't really even think then that an independent bid would get this much News. I won't say traction. I'll just say news. Um, Catherine, what was your opinion on um, Howard Schultz's first week as a potential candidate? He didn't have a good week. <laughs> um, I, I saw him on The View this week, and he was really weak. I mean, he just he didn't want to answer questions about specifics, and he was um, – I mean, they they really took him to task, all five of them on The View. All the women took him to task, uh, saying that he was just handing Trump a win um, by running. But it, it wasn't a good week for him. He uh, And 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 my, my response is, haven't we learned that this isn't a good – like, this isn't a good plan to get someone who's never served in – a billionaire who's mm-hmm. never served in elected office? I mean, 
of all the things that come from the Trump presidency, I hope that's the thing, the most, the the thing that we learn is that, and, and, you know, like I've often said, I'm sure I've said it on the show before, these people who roll over and wake up one morning and decide to run for president or Senate or what, or some federal office who've never run for office before drives me crazy. Why doesn't he run for dog catcher or school board or city council at least get one election under his belt so that he knows what to do. Um, I, I just think it's a, a feeble attempt at, I don't know if it, if he's trying to get some issues um, to the forefront or if he's just, you know, megalomaniac or I don't know, but I, it was not a, it was not a successful potential entry into the race. That's the other thing. He's thinking about it. He hasn't decided but he's making a big, you know, round of media. So I, I don't think we'll be talking about him in two weeks. He'll be out of the picture. Well, we are, we are going to talk about him on the other side of this next segment. But right now, I want to welcome back to the Kudzu by one of our favorite and most frequent guests from public policy polling, Tom Jensen. Welcome back, Tom. Hey, good to be with you all. Hi, Tom. Oh, good to have. You. Hey. Yes. Well, Tom, here's what we're going to do today. Instead of me asking the first question or two, Tim really has a real set of national questions. So we're going to go straight to Tim, who's going to frame that and ask you about that national poll you did uh, in January. Tim? Hey, Tom. Buddy, you see who runs things on this show, right? <laughs> uh, oh, and, and by the way, I want I, before we even start, Tom, I want to surprise my co-host because I did not tell them what you told me. Tell them when your first appearance on this show was. My uh, first appearance on the Kudzu Vine was also on a Super Bowl Sunday in 2008 when the Giants ruined the Patriots' perfect season. So we – 2 o'clock in the afternoon that day, uh, more than a decade ago. How about that, guys? (laughs) Happy anniversary or something. Hey, Tim, i got to break in. Tom, so are you telling me we didn't have you on two weeks ago this Sunday, correct? No. <laughs> hey, hey, it's our fault, Tim. We we lost it. It was it was it wasn't the Patriots beating us in the overtime. It was us not booking Tom Jensen. Yeah, really. Okay. Well, if 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 the Rams win today, we'll have to think about making it a permanent date anytime the Evil Empire is in the big game. There, there we go. There we go. My kind of thinking right there. And yes, we are pulling for the Rams today. Um, anyway, Tom, uh, you had a huge national poll, a uh, lot, of, lot of stuff in it, and I wanted to ask you a few things. Um, first of all, the recent shutdown, how badly did it affect the president's already not-so-great approval numbers? Well, it definitely took what was a 42 or 43% approval rating and it took it down to a 39 or 40% approval rating and sort of in a vacuum an approval rating dropping three or four points doesn't sound like that much but even though uh, Trump's approval has always been poor it has been pretty consistent 
So it's sort of been a situation where no matter what sort of drama he had going on, it didn't cause him to lose his popularity. And that's why the shutdown is such a big deal is because it's one of the very few things that's come along over the last couple of years that has broken through enough uh, that uh, that it's actually caused any sort of measurable drop in his support. So we found him going down to 40% approval, 57% disapproval. Uh, there was an Associated Press poll last week that found him dropping even all the way down to 34% approval, mm. 62% disapproval. I think he's probably more at, at about 40, but it does show that some polls really find his support declining. Mm-hmm. And and his approval numbers historically, including in your own poll, have had a solid ceiling in the low to mid 40s, right? Yeah, he uh, – you know, even though uh, – uh, even though like the economy is pretty good and that sort of thing, you've never really been able to get up anywhere above 45% with any sort of consistency. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, uh, another thing where he seems to just be stuck, you you did a bunch of head-to-head matchups against potential Democratic opponents that he might face in 2020. I think there were like seven different opponents and Trump absolutely got either 41 or 42%. And it didn't matter who he was running against and what they were getting, although they all beat him by varying degrees. He, he stayed right there. Is he hopelessly just stuck at this level right now? Well, he's hopelessly stuck there for now, but we always know that things can change a lot. I mean, one thing that I was thinking about that was sort of interesting with this poll is we put it out and people said, oh, well, it's too far away to matter. So I went back and looked and uh, looked to see what we had in January of 2011, the last time that we had a a first-term president coming up for re-election the next fall. And in January of 2011, we found Barack Obama in a hypothetical matchup with Mitt Romney leading by five points, and Obama won the popular vote by four points 21 months later. So where Mm -hmm. the polling was in January of 2011 actually was pretty much what ended up happening. On the other hand, Ronald Reagan at this time in 1983 had dreadful approval ratings and you know, 21 months later ended up winning almost every state in the country. So it can kind of go either way on how predictive where things are right now is of where things are going to be in 21 months. But I think the world has changed since uh, Ronald Reagan to where we are less likely to see a big movement from where things are right now. I think we're a lot more dug in. You either love Trump or you hate Trump. There's not that many people really open to changing their minds about it. Uh, in a way where you can see big swings in the president's approval ratings over time, like you saw with Ronald Reagan a generation ago. So, uh, you know, I think we need to remember that it's possible to recover. But at the same time, I, I think I agree with your premise that he does seem pretty stuck. Mm-hmm. And among the candidates that you're matching him up against, which one appears to be the hardest? Uh, matchup for Trump, the the toughest one to beat. Sure. Well, Joe Biden has the biggest lead over Trump at 12 points, 53 to 41. And then Bernie Sanders is also up by double digits by 10 points at 51 to 41. And then all of the other Democrats that we tested were up by somewhere between five and seven points. 
I yeah, don't why know those two? Because they have the highest name recognition. Ah, uh, so, so what I was going to say is I don't necessarily think that Biden and Sanders are hugely more electable than the other Democratic candidates, but they're certainly uh-huh. the best known of the Democratic candidates and have been on the scene the longest. So that's why you see them with higher levels of support. But I think what's really telling, as you let off with, is Trump being stuck at 41 or 42 percent no matter who the Democrat is. Democrats are already – fighting amongst ourselves, as we will do, about who's more electable and who's not. I really think uh, pretty much everyone is electable as long as Trump sort of remains in a similar place to where he is now. Okay, and, and you know, we were talking uh, at the beginning of, of this segment uh, about how badly the shutdown had hurt the president, and now we are approaching a time where we may be facing another shutdown. And uh, so is there at present any public appetite for Donald Trump's wall? <laughs> no, absolutely not, and especially if it's uh, tied into there being another shutdown. Uh, but we find that uh, only about 40 percent of voters support the wall. Uh, about 55% disapprove of it, uh, and people especially just don't think that there should be a shutdown tied to the wall. Uh, when we did this last poll, only 35% of voters agreed with Trump that the government should remain closed until he got wall funding. 60% said that they disagreed with him about that, and that was before you started having uh, airports shut down and that sort of thing. So I have to imagine that uh, that's just got even gotten even worse since then. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to ask you one more question, uh, and then I'm going to throw it back back to David. Uh, but but I, I found this interesting, and I wanted you to hit on it a little bit. But you did a bunch of polling about the media versus the president, and what were your findings there? Well, I think Trump has sort of tried to turn the media into a foil, like he did with Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, where he sort of created a situation that was like, well, even if you don't like me, maybe you'll like me more than you like her. And that has not particularly worked out for him uh, with the media, which I think he sort of tried to make his new foil. Uh, every single media outlet except for Fox News that we trust tested against Trump for did more. Uh, the media organization won out by double digits. CBS Voters trust by 14 points more than Trump, 52 to 38. NBC and the Washington Post voters trust by 13 points more than Trump, 51 to 38. ABC and the New York Times voters trust by 12 points more than Trump, 51 to 39. And then CNN voters trust more than Trump, 49 to 39. So he he just has not been able to sort of get it to a point where – People say, oh, well, I don't like Trump, but I like the media even less. Uh, people definitely trust the media more than they trust him. So so basically his attacks on the media have done nothing but uh, been uh, something to gin his own base up. Is that right? Yep. I mean, you you know, just like in all those matchups against the Democrats, he gets 41 or 42 percent. In all those matchups against the media, he gets 38 or 39 percent. I mean – all of that points to about a 40% base of the country that's sort of going to stick with him on anything, and then the other 60%, I think, are pretty over it. Oh, wow. 
Well, with that, I'm going to send it back to David, David. And I'm going to run a flea flicker with it and then just pass it right over to Catherine. He'll get it back to me. Catherine? Hey, Tom. Thanks so much for being on and and for making Super Bowl a tradition with with uh, you and us. <laughs> it's, it's not something I, I, I pay any attention to, so I, uh, I'm just holed up in my apartment here in Atlanta hoping that nothing happens that I have to leave. <laughs> uh, I will hope for um, that for you as well. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask you about the Georgia poll that you did Um, and specifically um, well if you want to just sort of touch on some of the um, highlights of the Georgia poll and then I have another question for you too yeah I mean I really think Georgia has the potential to be a toss-up president and the Senate next year and that makes sense after the election that you all are coming off of in Georgia I think that even though Stacey Abrams fell short, the fact that the race was pretty much a de facto tie makes it clear that Georgia now has reached the point where, especially if it's a good political climate for Democrats nationally, I think it's pretty close to being a 50-50 sort of state. I think you know, in a, in a sort of normal election year, Republicans are going to have a four- or five-point advantage. But uh, right now, I think we are in a time that's better for Democrats, and I think that really puts Georgia onto the map. Uh, so you look at the uh, the presidential race in the state. Donald Trump won the state by five points, but now he's underwater on his approval rating. Forty-six percent of voters approve of the job he's doing, and fifty-one percent disapprove. So certainly a situation where a majority of voters don't like him. And then I think the Senate race has the potential to be really close. Uh, Johnny Isaacson. Uh, uh, is considerably more popular than David Perdue, and of course David Perdue is who's up for re-election. Only 40% of voters approve of the job Perdue's doing, 39% disapprove. So uh, if Stacey Abrams or another strong Democratic candidate ends up deciding to make the race, I think it has the potential to be just as close as the governor's race was last year. Well, that's really good news. What do you think would happen if um, Abrams decided not to run? So if we had another, you know, I mean, there's a couple of um, well, pretty well-known uh, Democrats who have, who are, you know, in the rumor, you know, there's rumors that they might run. I think everything depends on what Stacey decides. But what if Stacey were not to run? Do you think we're still well, in the uh, same? We've, we've done some unreleased polling testing David Perdue just against a generic Democrat, and it comes out as a tie. So... Uh, I think certainly everybody would love it if uh, Stacey ran, but I don't think the race being competitive is totally contingent on Stacey running. And I think that, you know, that really speaks to what happened across the ballot in Georgia. Obviously, uh, the Secretary of State's race was pretty close to being a tie. The Public Service Commissioner race that went to a runoff was pretty close to being a tie. Stacey Abrams was incredibly strong at the top of the ticket to sort of lead things, but it's not like that was the only race that was close in Georgia last year. I think we saw across the board that the state's getting a lot more competitive. So I think that uh, even with somebody who's not Stacey Abram as the Democratic candidate, it has the potential to be uh, somewhat close. I mean, I think one one thing that's important to think about uh, is that obviously it was a great disappointment in 2014 when David Perdue won by eight points. People were expecting it to be a lot closer. Uh, But 2014 was a strong Republican year nationally, and Purdue still won just by single digits. 
So if 2020 continues to sort of move towards being a strong Democratic year, it makes sense that somebody who only won by eight points in a strong Republican year uh, would find himself in a pretty close race. Well, also, I think um, Purdue is very closely tied to Trump. He's, you know, been been very supportive of Trump policies. And and in fact, that's really the only time anybody hears from him. He's not like, I mean, Johnny, Johnny Isaacson, the only Republican I ever voted for, (laughs) um, (laughs) has been, you know, outspoken about the shutdown. He's um, he does. Well, I don't agree with him on many things. He do, he does seem to be a, um, a, a fair-minded Republican, um, whereas Purdue seems to be, you know, the ideologue that that we kind of expect. So um, I think that's all good news, and thank you very much. And now I'm passing it to David. All right. Now I'm going to ask about some other states that were in that same set of polls with the Georgia one, and first off, Arizona, they had a Senate election. Kristen Sinema ran against Martha McSally, and hey, they're both now in the U.S. Senate. Um, strange how that works. Uh, but McSally <laughs> didn't get a full six-year term. She gets a little under two, and she gets to be on the ballot with Donald Trump in a state very similar to Georgia that's trending more Democratic. Um, what is that? What do her reelection chances look like? Well, you're really right about Arizona being similar to Georgia all the way to the point where Trump's approval rating in Arizona is actually identical to what it is in Georgia with 46 percent approving and 51 percent disapproving. So I think that McSally is going to start out as a slight underdog for reelection or I, I don't know if you can even call it reelection for keeping her seat. Um, uh, you know, she obviously lost just by a couple points uh, in the fall. Uh, in a good Democratic year, and I think she, you know, sort of starts out baseline as somebody who's probably going to be uh, favored to lose by a couple points. So if things get better for Republicans, she could win. Uh, but I think uh, Democrats are going to have a very strong field of candidates there. Uh, there's three people seriously thinking about it: uh, Mark Kelly, uh, Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords' husband, and a former astronaut is thinking about running. Uh, uh, Congressman Ruben Gallego, young Latino rising stars, thinking about running, and then uh, Grant Woods, who was actually John McCain's chief of staff in the Senate and has become so repelled by the Republicans that he's become a Democrat, is thinking about running as well. And that really says something about how far Arizona has come as a state politically. Uh, it used to be a huge struggle to even get one decent Democratic candidate to run for something like the Senate. And now you have three candidates, any of whom you'd be perfectly happy to have, uh, possibly running in the primary against each other. So uh, I think that uh, certainly is going to be a competitive race again, but I think it probably tilts slightly towards the Democrats. All right. And next state, I want to stay out west. It's a state that's really pretty much a blue state at this point, but in a Republican trending year. Uh, a Republican can win, and that's what Cory Gardner did. He, he ran a Republican year and won. Now he seems to be, since uh, the November election, the, the Republican most likely to stand up to Donald Trump. Is that going to be enough to save him? Well, uh, 
first of all, part of his standing up to Trump involved endorsing him for reelection this week. So I think that's going <laughs> to make everything else he says about standing up to him uh, seem a lot more insincere. Uh, but uh, I definitely think I think you never want to say that something's a hundred percent this far out from the election, but. I think it's 90% that Gardner's going to lose next year. Uh, he's already down by six points to a generic Democratic opponent. Uh, obviously, Republicans in Colorado, uh, with the exception of Gardner sort of winning under fluky circumstances, that's the only major statewide race that, uh, that Republicans in Colorado have won since 2004. Uh, they've lost four governor's races in a row. They've lost three uh, presidential uh, uh, contests in a row, and then they've lost every Senate contest since 2004, uh, except for Gardner winning as well. And it's just hard to imagine a world where the political climate for Democrats is so strong uh, that a state that, as you say, has pretty much become a blue state uh, would vote to reelect this Republican senator. Uh, so I think that that's going to be uh, probably as close to a sure thing as a pickup opportunity for Democrats as there's going to be. And Gardner doesn't even have any sort of his own popularity to uh, survive on. He only has a 30% approval rating, 47% disapprove. So it's not a situation where, uh, you know, even though people there are generally going to vote Republican, they love Gardner, they don't love him. Yes, and then one final race I want to ask you about. I'm going to move all the way across the country and all the way up north uh, to a race where as much as she's going to be on the ballot with Donald Trump, she's almost going to be on the ballot in a lot of ways with Brett Kavanaugh, and that's Susan Collins. She, you know, made a lot of talk but then didn't really, you know, do a lot of results when it comes to actually standing up for what she alluded to early on. Uh, What are her chances looking like? Well, I think she is still a favorite for reelection because for whatever reason, there's still about 15 to 20 percent of Clinton voters uh, in that state who uh, still like Susan Collins. So she lost a decent amount of her crossover support uh, after she voted for Brett Kavanaugh, but she still has some of it. And something that we have to remember uh, is that um, – she won by 36 points in 2014, so she's someone who uh, historically has won by uh, extremely wide margins, which means that even if she's lost a fair amount of her support, uh, she still needs to lose a fair amount to fair amount more support to actually be in a position where she could lose. That said, I think something that needs to be noted is that uh, Democrats have already raised $4 million for whoever – uh, decides to run against her, no matter who it is, uh, we're able to do that in the week after her vote for Kavanaugh. Uh, so I think that it's a situation where she's going to start out favored for reelection, uh, but there is some chance that that could uh, decline over time, especially given how well-resourced we know her opponent will be. Yeah, I would think that that 36% cushion she won with in 2014 – has layers. I mean, one is good Republican year, and then it kind of just keeps going. And and, and how how hard does it get in that critical, say, last 5% of that win? If if it's really rock hard and they're going to be with her, um, she may not lose. But then if it, you know, can be pushed through, um, you know, that's that's what's going to be. Because I'm sure it's going to fall pretty quickly 
it's just how far. So that's a good point about that cushion. Um, well, Tom, well, and I, I coming on before. Say, oh, go ahead. I would also just say something to think about with Susan Collins is that early in his reelection campaign in 2012, Scott Brown was leading Elizabeth Warren by 17 points. And then the more and more that became just sort of a national referendum and became less and less about the candidates themselves, uh, that lead for Scott Brown just eroded and eroded and eroded to the point where he finally lost. So I think that uh, Susan Collins's personal popularity may only go so far uh, if it ends up being a situation where it seems like this may – where this seat may con- uh, determine who gets control of the uh, – U.S. Senate, I think you may see some people who like Collins saying, you know, I may like her, but I can't vote for her if this is going to keep Republicans in charge of the Senate when I think that's bad news. Hmm. Yes. Well, I'm sure you're going to do some more incredible polling throughout this uh, cycle because we're just still in the odd year. You know, we've got some governor's races and then um, all of next year to do. So I I know we're going to call on you. Uh, as often as we we can um, feel uh, appropriate as doing so to have you on to discuss these great polls. Well, I'm always happy to do it. Thanks again. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Yep, y'all take care. All right, Tom, you too. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, Thank you. Tom Jensen of Public Policy Polling, pretty much our number one pollster. Um, we've had other pollsters on, but we probably don't enjoy anyone more because he has such good insight. It's not just numbers. It's analysis, just like he gave us then with so many of those races. Um, maybe even next time he comes on, if uh, Howard Schultz is still a thing, um, we can ask him about him. But I think it was uh, – I don't think there's any numbers on his candidacy yet, but – we got a lot of Catherine's thoughts. Catherine, do you have any more to say on Howard Schultz before we get Tim's ideas? No, I, I think I said enough. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to still get in Starbucks uh, to, to buy some coffee, at some point, right? <laughs> I, I'm not a Starbucks fan. Not a Starbucks fan. As much as I, I love coffee, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even drink coffee at all, so I, I'm good no matter what. Um, Tim, well, you know, I've mentioned this to you before that I really, really, really the way things are stacking up I want to see this a two person race Donald Trump against our nominee. I do not want anyone else in the race even if I think it might help us a little bit because it would do nothing but stir the pot and anything could happen as a result I do think that Mr. Schultz may not do it. He, he he was a bit shocked, I think, by the backlash uh, that developed. I think he expected some grumbling, but this backlash was really harsh and really pretty much universal from the anti-Trump forces uh, in both parties. Um, now he has kind of a waffling and saying he won't decide for sure until the summer. Maybe he's going to wait a few months and see if uh, things look a little better for him to jump in this race later on. I think he's going to see that it's not 
and uh, Catherine Catherine made the best point of all. No, no, no more people like Trump that have ever that that have never tasted of public life. They've never been, you know, in, involved at all in politics, and all of a sudden they they jump in. Well, it's kind of like what Harry Truman said about generals when they get into politics. Why do they want to start at the top? That's what I'd like to ask Mr. Schultz. If you want to get into politics, why do you want to start at the top? Do you think it's your right to do that because you're worth $3.5 billion or something like that? You've got to give me more than that. Uh, The country's already tried that three years ago, and look how that's working out now. So what what do you think, David? Yeah, and I'll say this. I don't think he has to start at dog catcher, um, but but president is a tall order right off. I mean, he could go Congress, Senate, governor even, um, and, and that might be a little more plausible uh, and a little yeah, really. cheaper for him too, uh, even though Washington <laughs> State is still costing the millions to run for those races. I will say this. The one thing I did like about his rollout is he got Donald Trump – to make one of the most ridiculous comments that everybody got to mock this week, when he was, he did show that he is humble, and he said, you know, I'm not the smartest man in America, uh, which, other than the smartest person in America, nobody can say that. Um, but Donald Trump uh, jumped on that and said, no, you're not the smartest man. We already have that, and called himself <laughs> the smartest man in America. So he, uh, he, uh, he, he, did, he did get Donald Trump to expose himself once again with just – uh, just insane, yeah, and, ridiculous and, and, bravado. And, and let me say, let me say, if there's something we don't want Donald Trump doing, it's exposing himself, right? We, we... <laughs> definitely not. Um, when he wears his oversized suits, I've seen too much of him. Um, so yeah. So, uh, but but no, but I did. You know, he, he. I will say this: he came off obviously more likable than Donald Trump. I mean, that's a low bar. Um, you know, <laughs> to say, uh, but you know, he, uh, you know, I, I can limbo better than giraffe. I mean, that's uh, you're not saying that much there. But you know, it, it, I will say, like I said, he, he did seem more likable than that. Um, and and how he decides to campaign, if he just goes around, he does the media tour. He goes to places like Iowa, New Hampshire, even though he's not the primary. I, I heard he's doing this and meets voters and just fills things out, doesn't spend a lot of money um, and just keeps his name out there. That's probably pretty smart. I mean, if he's going to do this. Um, and then he can see where the race is, particularly when it you know whittles down to the Democratic nominee, and I'm guessing Donald Trump is a Republican nominee. And then he can see how much space there is in there. Now, I, I know that there is, because both parties are moving you know, further from the center. I think the Republicans further to the right than the Democrats to the left, but it's undeniable that both parties are moving away. There is going to be space in the center for somebody. I don't know that Howard Schultz is that person because policies seem pretty Democratic. Um, he, he's, well, he's really not in the middle. So, yeah, I, I don't know he's that he's going to really Democrat. pick up that it's not Republican like he's vote. not a Democrat. Yeah, it's, there's not enough space there, um, I don't think. Um, but, but I will say this. I think that there could be space for someone to run some type of campaign there, 
Um, and hopefully it wouldn't be what elects Donald Trump. It needs to be that kind of person that first and foremost yeah, their base but, are but. never Trump Republicans that cannot stomach voting for a Democrat, and he gives or she gives those people an option. That ought to be the core of the base of that type of candidate because I think the Republicans, there's more of them unhappy with their nominee than we'll be, we will be with ours. Tim? Yeah, but you, you see the polling is showing that by huge numbers, independent voters, self-described independent voters, do not like Donald Trump at all. We want those folks with us. If those folks are with us, uh, we we do have that 57% solid. I mean, we do. You know every Democrat in sight is going to vote against Donald Trump. And if we have independence with us by double digits, there's nowhere for Donald Trump to go. We do not want a third-party candidate in the race, uh, especially a viable one, that could spend a fortune and say pull eight, nine, ten percent of the vote. We 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 just don't want that. We we want us and Trump, and those independent voters are going to be with us. I, I hope and, Mr. Schultz stays out of this race. And let me let me just say yep. that if if if, a, if if I mean I think clear that Schultz is not a Trump fan and mm-hmm. wants wants a change in the country. If that's so important to him, then he should recognize that his running hurts the chances of of any change because it yep. gives. Uh, so I, I question his, um, you know, altruism or his commitment to change if he's going to muck up the the game by running. Do you see what I mean? Like if if you really hmm. want the country to change, then and you've been a lifelong Democrat. Then get behind a Democratic candidate. Give your support to that, to what, whichever one you think is the best, and and work to get them on the ticket. Don't muck it up by uh, by running as a third party. Uh, it just the whole thing. It's like the opposite of Bernie Frank, Bernie uh, Sanders too, right? Bernie Sanders wasn't a Democrat, ran as a Democrat. Schultz is a Democrat, but running as an independent. So, yeah. I, 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 yeah. Well, let's let's go ahead. We're only going to do Howard Schultz today. We're going to save the other two. We have planned, uh, even though he's not officially announced. He, when you go on sixty minutes in the View and everywhere else, uh, it's good enough to do a buy and sell hold on you. Uh, Tim, buy sell hold. Oh, I'm I'm selling all the way. Look, if for no he for no other reason, he truthfully does not have a chance to become the president running as an independent right now the numbers simply are not there i guarantee you there's enough democrats and republicans that are going to stick by their candidates to forego any chance of an independent right now being elected president sell okay catherine sell go back to washington have some coffee, go on a vacation, buy a yacht, <laughs> or spend, you know, a uh, million dollars trying to get a Democrat elected. Yep. Okay. Now, if if we're playing poker, I'm talking one chip. I don't even know what the color values are, but the cheapest chip, 
I'm saying someone gave me one or someone gave me a penny stock if we're talking stock market. Um, I would hold that little itty-bitty tiny investment. I wouldn't even buy it to hold it. I'd just hold it if somebody gave it to me just because, like I said, I think at some point around May to July in between the conventions, there may be some space that somebody sees. And I really don't even think, like I said, I don't think it's him. But somebody could put together some type of candidacy. Basically, if Evan McMullen would have known Donald Trump was coming and could have gotten in the race a year earlier, probably President Clinton, Hillary, I mean, would be in office today because that type of candidacy could have siphoned off enough folks. Howard Schultz probably didn't it, but there's space for somebody. So until somebody else gets in that race, I guess he'll be my little bookmark placeholder for the moment. Um, well, let's talk about some uh, – let's kind of switch off topic, final one. Just this past week, we found out who was going to give the response to the State of the Union, and it's not any of the U.S. senators that are running for president, and I think that's part of the thinking here. It's um, former Georgia State Minority Leader Stacey Abrams uh, is going to give uh, the State of the Union response after Donald Trump. Um, Catherine? What do you think this means? I think it's great. I think she's been, you know, obviously recognized nationally. I'm sure that um, the Senate, the Democratic, whatever it is, Senate committee is anxious for her to run against David Perdue. And this is one of the ways to, you know, bring her to more, even more national attention. But on the, but also I think she'll have a really dynamic um response and um it's great i think it's great for georgia i think it's great for the country she's a great speaker and um a a, a great future leader so i'm really proud of her and i think she'll be it'll be wonderful i wish i had known when i saw her last week i would have congratulated her yeah and she she might not even known who knows uh tim well you know it's a funny thing uh I didn't know this until this morning, but she was the most Googled politician last year leading up to the midterms. People wanted to know about her. People still want to know about her. Another interesting thing that I heard this morning, that uh, the national leadership, the speaker, um, and, and Schumer, among others, had offered her assistance. In in writing her remarks, and she declined it. She is writing her 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 own remarks for this rebuttal. I think it's going to be interesting to see what she says. I think it's a good choice by Democrats. And uh, the the age old question comes up, David: One more run, what'll it be? What do you think? Yeah, I I think I think, and I think she'll tip her hand, if you will. I mean, you would think that this speech would have a lot to do with federal policy. And if for some reason she doesn't have as much federal policy in it, maybe that'll say. Maybe she's not, think, not thinking about um, uh, you know, running against David Perdue. If she's talking about us in the states and at the state level. But if she talks you know, pretty exclusively about federal issues and uh, the federal government, that may be say, hey, she's pretty much going to get in. I, I think um, Chuck Schumer was smart here what Senator Schumer did. He didn't have to choose between uh, Kamala Harris, um, 
uh, you know, um, Beto O'Rourke or Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker. Uh, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure if he would have picked one of them, <laughs> everybody else gets mad. Um, mm-hmm. And so he didn't have to choose the senator um, that's running for president. He could go ahead and uh, then give her this to raise her profile, to help raise her fundraising further. Uh, you know, if she runs for against David Perdue uh, and give her that um, platform. Secondly, and I'm pretty sure it's just a Georgia-only spot, but guess what? That's all that really matters on, you know, on election day in Georgia. She's doing a Super Bowl ad, and I've seen clips of it. I don't know if either one of y'all seen the whole ad. She appears with a Republican county commissioner from Habersham County, uh, probably a place that we wouldn't describe as her base. But the ad is very friendly and warm and coming together over protecting voters' rights and, and you know, advocating for a paper ballot of some type or trail. Um, and I thought the ad was really good. It's going to be seen by a lot of folks, and it's going to be a, a really good way to um, expose her to even more voters that aren't necessarily huge politicos like we are. Catherine, have you heard or seen much about this ad? I've seen the ad, and it's really good. And it does specifically uh, ask for hand-marked paper ballots. Very specific, um, and it's it is it's friendly and kind of funny. You know, take a take a selfie and share with your friends, and um, and they're very um, upbeat. Um, it's very bright and um, colorful. So I, I I think it's uh, I, I I was really surprised to learn that they had um, made that investment, and I think it's a great a great move. Yeah, and, and Tim, before I get your thoughts, I want to say kudos to that county commissioner from Habersham County because we know, you know, there was the old adage about live and dead and what not to get caught with way back when. Mm-hmm. Well, now I think in particularly the Republican Party, the worst thing you can get caught with is a, a, de- a live Democrat. Um, yeah, really. So this, this but, politician could be taking a risk. What do you think, Tim? But, but, but my, my quick thought on, on this is, is that what we were talking about before – before we ever went on the air. Isn't it amazing how well she is keeping her name out there yeah. to the point of people talking about her more than they are the person that beat her in the governor's? Or you ain't hear nothing about him. It's all about her, ain't it? Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, amazingly. Yeah, which also, uh-huh. I guess, that may speak to the. That that also speaks to the lack of coverage of state government affairs. Um, we cover the horse race uh, in the news media sometimes more than we um, cover the actual goings-on um, at, at times. But, I mean, it's still, you would think that this would be a time where, you know, she you know steps away from the limelight. She hasn't had to do that. People have uh-huh. actually been, I guess, calling for her. Um, it's not uh-huh. even been where she's had to insert herself I think people have asked her to, just like Chuck Schumer, um, to do this uh, speech. So maybe we'll know more next week. I mean, next week we may have two of our topics, our follow-ups to this week. And hopefully we won't be doing a repeat of our topic for about six weeks because the government is still open, and and hopefully it will remain that way for all the hardworking Americans that depend on the jobs, the paychecks, and the services provided. Amen. Well, uh, been an early, Amen. It's been an early cutsy vine. Um, hope everybody enjoys the Super Bowl, and see you next week. Good, good evening, night, guys. Or good afternoon. Bye.
Good day. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.